Konnichiwa, Nihon Cricket Pod Toyokoso. That's right, folks. It is I, Alan Kerr, back once more with the Japan Cricket Podcast. Before we meet my guest this week, here's a quick rundown of what's been happening around the Japan cricket scene since we last met. In Division 1 of the JCL, I mentioned previously that the Tokyo Rangers had moved to the top of the table. And there they remain after a crazy performance against the Tokyo Wombats down at Fuji last weekend. Rangers racked up an incredible 455 for 5 in their 40 overs. There was 100 for Saki Passan, and four other guys made half centuries, with two of them striking at better than 300. Madness. Needless to say, they won the game by a mere 251 runs, thanks to a first five-wicket haul of the season for Melinda Sanjaya, who took five for 24, but amazingly it was not enough to get them a bonus point. The Tigers had briefly displaced the Rangers at the top of the table after a nervy one-wicket win against the Chiba Sharks. Usual captain for the Sharks, Dougal Beddingfield, was absent, away doing a coach-educator course in Fiji, which sounds like a tough gig. Uh, and they missed his runs as the Tigers knocked them over for just 164. Ajay Thakur then made 67 in the chase, but his dismissal in the 39th over meant the Tigers were nine down with five runs still needed. They scraped home and the Tigers remain unbeaten this season. Paddy Foley's grabbed another win thanks to a fine solo show from Zahid Ullah. He took four for 33 to bowl out the Alpha Quashers for 176 and then hit a 35-ball 54-0 out to help Paddies to a 7-wicket win and a bonus point. The men in blue also continue to impress. They sit second in the table after a reduced overs win against the Rising Stars. Batting first, they made 285 for 5 in their 33 overs, with a couple of big partnerships. First, 149 between Sarav Balmik and Rahul Kool, who both made half-centuries, and then 113 in 76 balls between Ankit Panwar and friend of the podcast, Abhiprey Dewan, who walloped 68 from just 27 balls. Akshay Hedge then took the best figures of the season so far, with 6 for 40, to bowl the men in blue to a 56-run win. The Tokyo Falcons had a good weekend, as their team turned the tables on Wyverns after a difficult start to the game. Wataru Miyauchi and Shogo Kimura both made half-centuries for the Wyverns as they opened the innings with a 159-run partnership. And the score of 2-2-7 for 7 looked pretty good. However, the Wyverns couldn't back up the batting display with their bowlers, who strayed all over the place to the tune of 48 extras, which was bettered only by Safra's Petkar, who made an unbeaten 51 not out to see the Falcons home by three wickets and with an over to spare. Elsewhere, there have been a few performances of note. I mentioned a good weekend for the Falcons. Shailaj Lal made an unbeaten 107 for their second 11 in a win over the Chiba Sharks second 11 in Division 2, while Sopan Shridonka took 5 for 12 for the defending Division 2 champions, the men in blue. Their second 11 brushed aside the Rising Stars second 11. It's the Alpha Quashers second 11 who sit on top of Division 2 at the moment. They have three wins from three, with Kawasaki Knight Riders first 11 just behind them. Meanwhile, the Tigers' third 11 are in the same position in Division 3. Lots happening in the Japan Cup, as always. Zahid Gondal hit 100 for the Sultans of Japan against Shaheens in the North Kanto Division. He then took 3 for 8 in a good day out for him as they registered a big win. And there was another Centurion down in Kansai as Umer Zulfikar made 108 not out for the Kobe Hawks as they beat the Royal Osaka Tigers. 
Too many games to go through all of them, but the bowling performance to note is the absurd figures of Sora Ichiki, the Japan Under-19 World Cup left-arm spinner who now plays for the University Eleven in the Japan Cup, and he managed to take six wickets for just a single run, including a hat-trick as the University Eleven beat Beans in the West Canto competition by nine wickets. Lastly, at the time of recording, I am hoping that by the time this comes out, I will be giving you already announced news that Japan will be hosting the sexily named Men's East Asia Pacific Sub-Regional World Cup Qualifier B in October this year. The tournament will act as the first part of the qualification pathway for the 20-team ICC T20 World Cup, which will take place in the West Indies and the USA in 2024, which may sound like a long way away, but I'm sure it will be with us in a flash. For those who don't know, the sub-regional qualifier will involve Japan, Indonesia and South Korea playing a double round robin event and the winner of that will go forward into a regional final. There is one place for the EAP at the World Cup, so the winner of the regional final will go into the 20-team draw. The Philippines are already into the regional final by virtue of making the global qualifier for the last World Cup and along with the winners of the tournament in Japan, they will be joined by the winners of the Men's East Asia Pacific Sub-Regional World Cup Qualifier A between hosts Vanuatu, Fiji, Samoa and the Cook Islands. There's a possibility that Papua New Guinea may also come into that qualifier. It all depends on their ranking and performances at the upcoming T20 World Cup in Australia. Japan have, of course, named a 24-player national training squad for this year, and I'm sure those guys will be champing at the bit to play some international cricket for the first time since 2018. Right then, on to today's guest. Right, joining me today, fresh on a winter's morning, a man who has been part of the Japanese cricket fabric for some time. These days, he's more commonly seen dressed in his umpire's coat and hat and standing at one end. But a key member of the Chiba Sharks Cricket Club, who are, of course, still basking in the glory of the 2021 season, and often seen turning his arm over in the second 11 still, Mr. Chris Bain. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Uh, no worries, Alan. Glad, glad to be here. Thank you for inviting me. So first of all, KB, as we uh, should be referring to you throughout this, because that's what everyone calls you. How are you doing? You know, where are you at the moment? And uh, how are you keeping busy during the winter? Um, I'm in Yokohama. Um, I'm sort of been babysitting my parents-in-law's house for a couple of years, actually. And, um, beautiful day outside, uh, house is quiet, but it wasn't quite two weeks ago when you had 30 chibi sharks here, which was fun. Yeah. I uh, photos of that. Cool. Well, look, um, you've got plenty of stories to tell a man who's been in Japan as long as you have a man as long as long in the tooth as you are. Um, but. We'll test your memory. I'd like to go back all the way to the start. It's generally what we do on this show. Um, yep. And begin with where you're from and a bit of family history. Um, yep. So why don't we start with that, uh, that initial question, whereabouts are you from and what was it like growing up there? Okay, well, I'm from Australia and from Melbourne. I still am from Melbourne, but I've actually spent my, more of my life living in Japan, in Tokyo than, than in Australia, which is a shock. I'm, uh, I was born. Uh, well, good. And then step by step. And uh, I'm the youngest of five kids. Yeah, I remember the youngest conversation because uh the and um I remember I sorry, I just tried to drop, but I remember you and I having this conversation one night in Ken's bar where of course you're the youngest of five and it's boy, three girls, and you. Is that right? Yeah. Oh, good with, memory. With, which is exactly the same as me. 
I'm yeah, younger than right. five with a brother, then three girls, and then and then right. myself. So yeah, kind of eerie, eerie family history. Uh, makes, makes for a good person to be at the end of that. What doesn't it? Quite right. Carries um, stuff. My brother is 16 years older than me, so by the time I sort of can remember things around five, he was actually off to America to study, and I didn't see him for 10 years after that. Um, and with sisters, uh, and I'm, I'm actually six years between myself and my next sister up. So I was a real surprise. So I, I didn't have the sort of idea of all these backyard cricket games, all of my, my brothers and sisters, cause they were not around. So I was almost like a, an only child really, um, <laughs> uh, growing up, but, um, yeah, it was well, growing up in Australia. I mean, it's, it's fantastic. You know, it's just always sport everywhere. We used to go camping as from a young child, I remember it was memories on the beach and uh, listening to the cricket and, um, you know, games on the sand, sandbanks and stuff and a uh, little bit out on the street. I only learned a couple of years ago that Ashton Angar's family lived two doors down from me. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, from late, kind of late in the piece. But, uh, yeah, I did a lot of sport at school. I went to a school which was really focused on that, so I was playing cricket and cricket in summer athletics in spring and Aussie rules in winter. So I was pretty active, even though I was a skinny little bugger. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of everywhere in Australia. Like I guess the climate is plays a huge role in that, but also just the Aussie character sport is ingrained right from the moment you start walking pretty much. That's right. Yeah. And cricket kind of dominates that summer scene as well, isn't it? Which is, um, yeah, a great place to be. So. I mean, you kind of said there you're playing on the sandbanks and stuff. Are those your earliest memories? Have you got any specific early memories of cricket that, uh, uh stand out? Um, my, my dad was, a, and I'm a member of the, uh, MCC, which is MCG. So, uh, we, we actually used to go up from wherever we were camping or whatever. We used to all go up and watch the, the first day of the boxing day test. So um, I was, I've got earliest memory of going into the MCG. Uh, those times when I guess they thought I was old enough to appreciate it. So uh, that's probably my earliest memory. And I do have a vague memory of my first cricket game, which I would, must have been in about seven or eight at primary school. I still remember. So I got, actually got a pretty photographic memory of certain things. And I can still remember this uh, being on the field. It's kind of a scratch match, but cricket. Um, and then I changed schools and went to this school, which focused on everybody had to do something. So I was probably playing in sort of formal cricket games from when I was about nine or 10. And how did that go? I mean, was it a sport that you instantly fell in love with or did it take a bit of time to want to? Uh, anything with a ball, I'll have a go at. You know, I'm like a dog, <laughs> a dog in a previous. <laughs> so did you play any formal cricket, any, any comp competitive cricket, any league cricket uh, as a junior growing up? Or? Yeah, well, I, I played right through school, so mm. I reckon I started when I was 10 and played every year in a different a, a team right through until I graduated. So that was about nine years at school. Uh, I was never in the top team. I just loved playing the game mm. and, uh, you know, I didn't want to apply myself, but I was okay. I ended up captaining a lot for some reason. And once uh, when I became 16, a couple of mates of mine I played with, we went and joined a, um, a club team, Sandringham. It was actually around where, uh, Shane warns from that's easy that we're from the same area. So I'd play mornings school games somewhere in Melbourne. And then, uh, with my, my best mate, who was, uh, uh, bowl and I was a batter and we jump on a train or somewhere and go back to the club and play, uh, 
in, in the thirds or something uh, in the afternoon. So it was full on. Saturday was just cricket right through yeah. summer, really. And what was that playing environment like? I guess you played with adults from quite a young age then. Yeah. Uh, yeah, in the club teams, yes. Um, adults and some of them stinking of beer are actually still drinking beer when they got to the ground, you know, and um, some old guys and, you know, it, it's, uh, it was full on as an under 16 playing against men. Yeah, I hope not. But, but did you find that, I mean, you'll have to tell us, was it a friendly environment where people like nurturing to the young kids or was it tough and they're out there to these grizzled old guys kind of hardening you up a little bit? Um, bit of everything there. Yeah. I think the, the older guys would, you know, kind of yell at you if you didn't back up when the, the, the throw or something like that. So there was, I wouldn't call it coaching. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was a learning experience. You learn fast and, you know, they would, some, some guys would, would, uh, school you and, and stuff like this school or scold maybe was the, mm. <laughs> was the combination. General approach. And the other thing, yeah. You get some pretty nasty guys, actually. <laughs> yeah, I bet you do. Yeah, yeah. I just want wickets. Okay, so then um, you mentioned previously you've been in Japan longer than you were in Australia. So when yeah. did you come over here and what brought you over here? Uh, well, I started um, when I finished high school. I didn't have anything going for me really to special. So my brother, who's actually, he's an academic. Um, so he said, why don't you do Japanese? It's going to be really important. Uh, so that was a, a brainstorm he had in you know, 1977. So he was spot on. Uh, so I just started doing Japanese at, at, at university. I was never even good, but I thought I'd come over and I came over from when I was 19 for just to have a look around for a month. And then, uh, 1982, was it 1983? I sort of started living here more. So I've been here more or less, except for a short period. I went back to do some more study. I've been here since 80, 82, 83, maybe a long time, pretty much my entire life. It is. Yeah. That's a fair old while. So what were your first impressions of Japan when you got here? Oh, <laughs> when I first arrived when I was 19, the first place I landed was Kagoshima because I tried to cheap life. And, uh, for those that don't know, that is like the furthest point South of Japan. Yeah. Like most islands. So yeah. And historically it's, it's like always been separate from Japan in a way yeah. from language because they, they, they use their own language almost to find out who the spies were. So I got there with my minimal Japanese and asked a question. It's like, oh my God, I've been on the wrong plane. <laughs> I'm in the wrong country. Where am I? Uh, so that was my first experience and I traveled up right up, but, um, yeah, I, I loved it. Uh, when I, when I came, I, I, I'm still here. So obviously I like it. Yeah, cool. So was, was it again, was it a fairly quick kind of love affair? You sort of arrived and thought, yeah. This is, this is the place I'm, I'm going to bed in and stay for a while, or is that kind of happened a bit more gradually? Well, it was getting back to my family. I'm the youngest of five, but all, all my family, all my brothers and sisters have lived abroad. And like at one stage, my brother was living in Africa and working. My sister was in Europe. My el an elder sister, she's actually living in Japan. Um, so I figured out that my family's lived and worked on uh, five continents. Every, everywhere it's Antarctica and South Africa, South America. Well, it's not, not too late to take those boxes, mate. <laughs> so it was sort of normal that, you know, oh yeah, go overseas and, and live. And I wouldn't think I'd been here this long. Nobody does. I think so many people say I was going to come here for a year and a half and I've been here like a million years. So I think it's a normal. Yeah, definitely. I, I was thinking a year or two and just do it eight now. 
Okay, so your, your early years are here. Now, I'm assuming you didn't get involved in the cricket scene for a little while, but why don't you tell me how that came about? Well, it, it's actually weird. When I came here, I had no expectation that there was cricket. You know, I was actually forced to watch baseball for amusement sometimes. And I used to go back to Australia at least once a year and often, basically my, my best mate, who I mentioned before, he'd pick me up at the airport and say, right, we're playing indoor cricket tonight. So I'd go from the airport to indoor cricket. So I, I used to get little tastes at least once a year, but then, um, then I had kids that, that sort of slows things down. And so I, I really had a break of about 20 years where I didn't touch a, a bat at all, mm. you know, but then for some reason, um, oh, then the internet came along, right. <laughs> and once, once I got the internet, I think one of the first things I did was just Google cricket and Japan. What came up was a Tokyo Bay cricket club. Which probably you don't, do you know, you probably don't even know about. I mean, I think I've heard of it. I think it's put the names popped up, but yeah, it was sort of yeah. late nineties, early two thousands, maybe. Yeah. So anyway, this Tokyo Bay cricket club popped up and I sent an email and actually the guy didn't, somebody who answered me didn't live very far from me. And so I think my son must've been about three or something. And then I was thinking, oh, you know, it'd be good to get cricket. So I arranged to meet him and never happened. So I almost, almost got involved there and then. Uh, years and years passed. My wife's in TV, television, so she was making a TV program and she needed a cricket bat. And, uh, you know, she, she knew a little bit about cricket. And so, I don't know, I'll ask a friend and he put me, he put me onto one of the wombat. And so I did, I sort of had a contact with the wombats. Uh, they don't even know this, uh, just news, um, <laughs> uh, but it didn't, that nothing happened there. And then, um, time went by and, uh, I was getting close to my 50th and I thought, okay, I want to do sport again. So I actually started playing Aussie rules again <laughs> and, uh, at 50. at 50. Yeah. And I was at a school I used to work at just visiting and a friend said, oh, look, the guy's joined staff who he talks about cricket a lot too. I'll introduce you. And it was a guy named Ian Lambert, who was an original shark. And we got talking, he said, yeah, yeah, cheaper sharks and stuff like this. So I, I think I learned about it on a Wednesday and I was in the nets on the, on the Saturday. <laughs> um, and that's it. And I joined exactly the same time as another, uh, shark, uh, legend, uh, Warun Sanchetti. Oh, yeah. And both of us met on the train platform at Kinchjo and big Dave Lolback rolled up. Mm. So that was it. So it begins. So which nets are those out of interest? Was that the nets that Akai Farm? No, no, no. And before that, right? This is the ones that the founder of the Sharks or something built on the top of his factory. Yeah, okay. I've heard of these ones. Yeah. yeah. So I had zero inkling of, of a team. And next I'm on this, in this indoor nets with stuff everywhere. It's like <laughs> someone's kind of transported me to some weird uh, <laughs> cricket world. It was fun. Yeah. So, so that's so then what were your first impressions? What, 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 let's just time stamp this. Whereabouts were you? Must have been mid 2000s. I think it was, well, I, I played my first game. I think it was the last game of the season in 2008 for the Sharks, but I'm okay. sort of officially joined the Sharks in 2009, but I did play a game in 2008. Okay. So then yeah. given that you'd been in Japan best part of 30 years by that point, were you, were you pretty surprised at where the game was at that time? Because I guess by then, you know, there were some, quite a lot of established clubs and some competitions that were, were, were running 
you know, puts me the JCA was very much, you know, up, up and running and doing all right at that point. It was still pre-Sano days, but, you know, things were coming along. So what were your first impressions of all that? Uh, well, as I said, the first game I played, I, I didn't, all I knew was a practice area. And the first game I played was down in Fuji mm. and it must've been late October and it was a dreary, drizzly, cold, freezing day. Uh, but you know, they said over there's Mount Fuji. You couldn't see anything. Of course, that's great. <laughs> You're like, yeah, I'm sure it is. Two cricket pitches side by side at Fuji. I was like, what the hell is this? Where did this come from? Uh, and then my next game after that, I think it was the next season was out at Agio. And you've probably never been to Agio. It oh, I must. Taxi drive in the middle of nowhere to this sandy little patch that next to a cow farm. And it was just like, what is this? <laughs> I've never even heard of that ground. Oh, no, no. The old timers will tell you that Agio. <laughs> Some are probably nodding out there. But um, these, we used to play in the JCL and the KCL. So we, um, we had a lot of cricket um, going around. I still say now, it's cricket in Japan. I, I don't care where I'm playing it's it's fantastic and the Sharks have over the last few years produced quite a lot of younger cricketers um so have you have you enjoyed being part I mean you've played most of your cricket in the seconds you've played a bit of ones as well but have you enjoyed being a kind of sort of mentor to those younger kids coming through and trying to get the values that you grew up with of, of how to play cricket instilled in them yeah oh it was fantastic seeing again uh, the third gates and uh the Sahus and, um, all the, all the young guys that come through, through the club and still, and still there and growing. And a lot of them have left, of course, and gone and study abroad and things like that. Like Neil, though, he's still uh, part of the club. Um, I don't know if I instill anything to them. I, I just <laughs> play and try to advise and encourage, and I don't see myself as actually having much, much influence. If I do, I'm, it's good. I hope it's good influence, but yeah, just just seeing them and physically, you know, I don't see them so often. Um, but some of the guys are skinny little kids, <laughs> like got beards and hair. And Suddenly they've changed a lot. Yeah. Like, who the hell is this? <laughs> and maybe uh, it's me. It's like the boys have changed totally. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, it's great to see that. You mentioned, um, that coming in late, I guess that you had a, a desire to get back into playing sport. Yeah. Death wish. Yeah, death wish, you could say, right. So then I guess when you're doing that, you want to be performing as well, right? You don't just want to be the old yeah. bloke who everyone's humoring. You want to be able to actually be worth your spot in the team. So yeah. you've, you've done pretty well picking up wickets in the twos. So are you still yeah. working on your game? Are you still looking to improve? And how do you go about doing that? Um, oh yeah, absolutely. I, I'm, <laughs> I, I think I, I like, I like doing it well, you know, uh, I like contributing in some way, but, uh, my batting has gone down though. I can hold up an end, um, which I, I actually caused the helicopter game because of my batting. Uh, <laughs> I apologize for that. Uh, well, you've got, you can't drop that hint and then not tell the story. Okay. Right. So, um, this is in 2020 and, uh, as I said, the Sharks got pretty well smashed all the times in the seconds. And if we lost the toss, the other, of course, the other team will bat, okay, against us. And it was really, really hot. So I remember a couple of games there where, you know, we, we're batting second. I looked around and literally there were people I had to sort of give them a kind of a, a test to see if they're thinking straight, seriously. 
And I said, you're not batting yet. And uh, so we had a hard time. We always seemed to be fielding first in the hot sun. So then one day I actually won the toss and said, right, <laughs> out, it's our turn. So I opened um, and I decided I'm not going out. And so I batted for quite a while. I think I made six runs, but batted like almost 30 overs or something ridiculous. <laughs> um, and so the whole idea was at least if we had a chance to sort of wear the team out a little bit, which is what's happened to us. Uh, and then, then it came to break and I, and then I, um, I heard this poor fellow coughing and it wasn't, it didn't sound very good in the other team. And, uh, after they'd been out in the field for a while and then we started the game and I'm at standing at square leg and we're fielding and, uh, I could, I could see this helicopter in the distance. And of course around Sun I won there's and those, there's always those little helicopters buzzing around. Right. But this helicopter kept getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And, um, at the same time I heard this ambulance coming over the, the, the hill that comes down into the thing. And then a fire engine was coming along and the other thing. So suddenly a helicopter, a fire engine and, 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 a, and a, an ambulance all showed up at exactly the same time. And it was, this thing was hovering and basically we cleared the field and, um, the helicopter landed next to the wicket and stumps and bales and things went everywhere. And, uh, it was like sort of international rescue of Thunderbirds, you know, and, the fire engine stopped and put up a sort of a windsock. So that it was, it was just this amazing thing. And, uh, then I found out that the guy who had said, I'd heard it was, was in a bad way, which I, I felt terrible that I'd done that, uh, caused, caused this thing, the ground, the game next door stopped and all the wyverns came over and people were trying to get near the helicopter. And there was a guard of around this ground and these guys in these ice packs, it was like some movie scene. I remember that myself. I was in Sano at that time. And, um, I remember just, just picking up my phone and flicking onto Instagram and seeing like Ash Thurgate's Instagram stories, helicopter land. I'm like, what is going on? I won't lie. I panicked. I was desperately phoning people like, what is going on at the Sano river grounds? There are ambulances and fire engines and a bloody helicopter. Yeah. Like, what's happening? I thought someone had died. I was quite relieved well, that. Some people thought it was me. <laughs> yeah, right. I was quite relieved the guy just had a bit of heat stroke and he was basically fine. Yeah. But, um, my strategy of wearing the other team out didn't work because we had like a 40 minute break and they stayed in their cars and got nice, <laughs> nice and cool and came out and destroyed us after that. Absolute backfire. So, backfired. All right. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I, I, Recently, I found like I seem to have more time in defence. Maybe I, I guess I have nothing to lose, so uh, I'm okay at defending. But I can't play any shots anymore, so I want to start making some shots. So teams, be warned, <laughs> I'm on the loose. <laughs> um, but my bowling, yeah, I, I dabbled with with bowling, and I just this is a weird thing that I didn't. If you look at the Sharks' records, I didn't bowl for like the first three seasons. And right. when my bowling improved, it's because I dislocated my shoulder during a game. And how did you do that? Fielding? Well, fielding, yeah. And rock hard. It was a summer, some, a rock hard summer, um, Sun 03. And I went to dive or jump or something. I just landed on my shoulder and basically popped out, I think. And I had to bowl an over and I bowled my arm over and it just kept going round and round and round. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it felt like. Uh, but but uh, it didn't even the bone sticks out now. And after that, 
I, some reason my arm comes over my shoulder in an odd way. People ask me, how do you sometimes do the bowl, the ball that you do? I said, I got no idea. And I, and I really think that it's because of some weird way that my arm swings over now. Well, there you go. So there's, there's lessons already to be learned from this chat and that a, it's never too late to start playing and no injury has to actually, um, detract from your performance. It could even improve your performances. So there we go. I wouldn't start running into brick walls to dissipate your shoulder. (laughs) I've had two operations on my shoulder and it hasn't made me any better. I can tell you that. (laughs) That's just my theory anyway. So, so before we we move on to the next thing, I just wanted to ask, like, what is it your, what does it you do? Tell us about your, your work in Japan and, and particularly balancing that with playing sport, because it's something that a lot of people struggle with is their sort of professional life and their, um, family life and their, um, sporting life, if you like. Yeah. Um, yeah, well, I, I'm, I'm a teacher, so I, um, I teach at a, a, a university, which I've been teaching the whole time I'm in Japan. Um, so I guess I think one thing, good thing about teachers, we get lots of holidays. Mm. Um, and so my weekends are generally off and sometimes I have to do work on the weekends. Um, and, uh, we have a long summer break and, and spring. So I've got time to get away, um, and, and do those things. So that's always a positive. And I didn't play for ages cause my kids were involved in sport. I got three kids and they all played sport of some kind, um, soccer or basketball or handball, uh, all active all ball sports, surprise, surprise. They always had footies around the house and stuff like that. Um, so yeah, I've just been kind of fortunate that, um, um, I could, I could have the time to devote to things like, uh, cricket. So moving away from the playing side, I guess what most of the Japan cricket community know you for is your umpiring because you're fairly regularly out in the middle. Ruining people's weekends all the time. Ruining people's weekends. Um, so I guess, first of all, when and why did you get into umpiring? Well, um, it goes right back to Australia. I still remember, you know, when. Uh, school games and stuff and that they'd always need an ump sometimes need an umpire so I'd be I remember standing at square leg and I I actually did umpire some games even the club games you talk you asked me about some of the guys you play against one guy when I was umpiring I was about 16 I didn't get an LBW and he was going to knock my head off um, your card was marked yeah he didn't <laughs> like it at all um so I did a bit then and so uh, then when we uh, when we came, I came to Japan, of course, the teams have to put out umpires. And, uh, one thing about, you know, cricket in Japan, you've got a lot of people who play, but there may not be so many people who actually came through an official system. And, uh, and I've also too, I've watched a lot of cricket over the, over the years, you know? So I guess I had a good grasp of the, of the, the, the rules and me being me as a, as a teacher, I guess, I mean, a lot, you find a lot of umpires and those are lawyers and teachers and stuff. I, I sort of, and I enjoyed it, you know, and then of course is CT is such a great, a great influence. And I, I started kind of umpiring with him and then, you know, he said, we, we, we could, we often talked about how we can improve that side of the game. And so then, you know, the JCA got on and made the, uh, the, the panel and stuff like that. And it's just gone from there. Last year, particularly on the, on the JCL panel, you work with a lot of people that you probably wouldn't have umpired with before. Did you find guys kind of looking up to you for advice or did you find that you had to 
kind of take on the role as senior umpire? Yeah, well, I think there's um, umpiring. There's so many things that you really you have to look really closely to notice and and to work as a team. This is something that Chris Chris and I really enjoy working together. So because uh, we have that, I think a really good teamwork. And it's just little things like just keeping an eye on the other person and uh, having certain signals and discussing things. So um, it's it's it'd be nice to for anybody who's maybe wants to get into umpiring or think that they can't. It's it's a very satisfying thing. For a start, you've got the best seat in the house to watching some of the batsmen and the bowlers. So that's so fantastic, you know. Of course, you've got, you've got to be neutral about it. And but um, yeah, it's it's little things that. Um, can, can make the day enjoyable. And, and when you have a good game, you know, you've had a good game. And, uh, again, Chris and I worked together on finals and I think, uh, well, we, we, we didn't, we don't umpire sharks finals, um, because we want to watch it, you know, probably shouldn't, but I think the year before that, maybe, um, the, the final JCA game of tigers versus who was it? Tigers quashes. Yeah. I mean, I think that was almost for us anyway. I'm not saying, not saying one fantastic, but I think it was almost a perfect game for us. I mean, we, we talked about it afterwards and said, wow, that felt really good. And we just knew we were in a good rhythm. So, you know, I'm hoping older guys or even younger guys who want to try it can, it's not just, I got an umpire and it's like a drag. It's, it's actually a little mini game in itself that you, you have a teamwork with and it's, um, can be very satisfying. Definitely is something that. I would encourage people to get into because as you say, it's a great way to not just become your own team with the other umpire, but also actually just to get to know the other, the, the players. Um, yeah. you know, most of the people that I've got to know in cricket in Japan, outside of the Japan national squad players has been through standing out there umpiring and having chats with people. So that's been really enjoyable and, and I haven't done much of it the last couple of years. So perhaps I will try and get out there and stands a few games this year, but go back to playing, you got the chance to actually represent Australia last year. That's in, in the embassy cup. It's a high fight. Yeah. Well, because of, we had more umpires around, um, actually was able to get time off. So I had it, that was a really interesting day because I actually demanded to play for the Anzacs. <laughs> I said to them, you will regret it if you don't let me play, um, against the British embassy. And actually I played for the British embassy this past season a little bit because they, they also play in Yokohama. The Sharks aren't very happy with this, but I actually did some T20. So I was the team, I was playing the Anzacs, you know, Richie and all, all of the guys who the Wombats who I knew. And of course, um, guys from the Sharks and, and other places. And then on the other side was, uh, guys I also knew. So it was a fun day. And then, um, I actually ran away and I went down to Sun 01 where the shark second. So I had to give up playing for the seconds to play for the Anzac. But, um, I, I said, put me down as 12th man and I'll, I'll come down. So I went down there and that was the last game of the season. And, uh, uh, I'll bring up the game later in the, in the interview, but, uh, I was able to get on the ground as 12th man. Yeah, that's cool. So then in the time that you've been here, you've seen the game change a fair bit. Do you think it's, uh, you know, can you highlight a couple of changes that you might've seen for better or worse? Well, the grounds for a start, I mean, you know, um, Tanamos, that's fantastic. I still, every time I walk around that corner past the school, I think, wow, <laughs> this is, it's like walking into another, another cultural 
through some sort of portal. Into even the, even uh, more so now with the tea room, right? It's like you can actually have, have a beer and a pie and, and watch a game of cricket. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Things have right. changed. Yeah, but uh, the grounds, but also, the, you know, the teams, um, uh, it was a bit like the Wild West when I first started playing and... Uh, Everyone in different uniforms and yeah, turning up yeah. or, turning up late for the start of games and kind That's of very right. village feel back in very 2008, village. 2009. Uh, yeah, not yeah, that anymore. So, no. Um, so that I think it's just a, a general uplifting of the of the standard and stuff. And, then, and the, of course, I think the off field thing is more the changes there with umpiring, uh, scoring to some extent. But yeah, I think it was all just uh, go for a hit and that's it. Sort of uh, when it started, but now it's a bit more serious, which is good. Yeah, and you've done a bit of work with the uni teams as well. You, you sometimes umpire the um, Champions Wicket as well, right? You've done a little bit. Yeah. Of that. So you've been well, exposed I've, to. I'm firing, yeah. yeah, so you've been exposed to, um, you know, some, some players who are pretty new to the game. Any advice that you'd give to those guys or girls who might be new to, to playing cricket and, the, you know, faced with that, you know, it's a huge drop-off of players that we have after university. Yeah. Everyone goes straight into their work and, and cricket gets left behind. But um, any advice that you'd give to those, that age group about staying involved in the sport? Uh, for anybody new... And this includes maybe players who, and not Japanese players too, who maybe just know about cricket and are not, you know, they, they actually come into it late in life. We have, a, we have people in the Sharks like that. But I think for anybody who's new to the game, um, there's some things that you can improve and understand more quickly. I mean, bowling and batting is, you know, that takes time to develop. But things like fielding, you know, and, and being a good fielder and, and finding something that you can do to contribute to the team and enjoy and, and know you've done a good job at. Um, but I also think it's the off-field things. I mean, it's about scoring and um, just being involved in being involved in the game and learning through that. I mean, you can learn a lot through scoring how the game works. Um, umpiring, of course, but again, that's that that takes a lot of courage. I think from the Japanese a Japanese person is a little bit not confident in their own understanding of the game, but, uh, just, just finding a way to enjoy the game in different ways and, um, and understanding it, you know, you don't have to kind of do it all the time. So I still think there's a lot of players who have been lost, who could, could have kind of just a weekend, just learn how to score. And then you, you're really valuable to, to teams and you can still see cricket and still be involved. Um, but of course, everybody wants to play and hit the ball and, and bowl the ball, but not everybody can do that. So you've got to find a way to um, find your own little niche, your own little things that you can do well. Yeah. And I think one of the things I've really noticed over the last four or five years, you know, some of the JCL clubs have really developed and they've really become quite big entities now. So there's whole communities within these clubs you know, where people can come together and socialize and be a group. And like you say, even if you're new to the sport, you don't really know anything. Anyone can learn to score. I mean, there's a number of the Japanese mums, for example. I mean, you could go there against a great example. Because they're really, yeah, they're very good, good at it. Learn how to score it, and, and got into it very well and, and has done, I mean, she's actually taught other people how to score. So, yeah. you know, these, uh, there are ways to enjoy the game. And by being a good club person, 
you immediately, as you say, become accepted and suddenly you've got a group of friends. They don't you know, have to be out there playing the game. You just be around the club. And I think something I've noticed that other sports in Japan do quite well. I mean, I know the, the Tokyo Crusaders rugby team, for example, have non-playing memberships where people basically just go on the piss with them after the games. But, um, yes. You know, it's still, you can still be part of the group. It's a good way to, to interact and find new, um, make new friendships. And that's kind of what we at the JCA want to, I mean, our, you know, our whole mission segment is to enrich lives and spread joy through playing cricket. So uh, it's yeah. not necessarily always about going out there and winning. Although. Even if it's older, older people, or I mean, I, the uni teams, the men teams, cause it's a uni, university club, they often had, um, usually female students and the, and the idea of the, the manager type thing in Japan sport is uni is usually a female thing. That's, that's just the culture, but, um, they were scorers, <laughs> amazing, accurate and, and, and those sort of things. And, and maybe they don't play, but the, eventually they may have kids and they, they might play. I mean, so it's, it's just getting the idea of the game out there and that you can be involved, even if you're not so skilled or even if you don't want to play completely. Um, that as, as, as you explained now, that's a really good idea. And the Japan Korean community is a pretty friendly place as well. I think it's a, a good, a good community to be part of. So on that note, I guess, before we get into our kind of generic questions that I like to ask everybody, if there was one change that you could make to the cricketing structure in Japan, as it is right now, what would that be? Yeah, I saw that question. That was a tough question. Um, no, uh, you're not short of opinions usually. Yeah, yeah, it's surprising, isn't it? Um, <laughs> well, to be honest, the scoring is really annoying and that's. Came up a few times last year, right? Yeah, we, we, meaning the JCA and everybody involved needs to realize that it's a very important part of the game and, and it legitimizes the, the game too. All right. So you might have really skilled players, but if the scoring is pretty awful and everything, it doesn't, it's not a good look. And it can, can cause trouble. So, um, I would probably somehow ask teams or required teams to, to become more proficient at that kind of thing. And fortunately it's often an example of whoever knows how to score even has to score. So like I bat number 11 a lot because in CT as well, because we're the only ones who know how to score sometimes. So, yeah. and it's, we go into bat, the things fall apart, even with the sharks. And we think we did a pretty good job. And often other teams, it's, 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 people see it as a drag and often somebody who doesn't really know how to do it well gets the job. All right. So it's really, really important part of the game. And yeah. Like you say, once you have that skill, you can just walk into pretty much any cricket club in the world yeah. and be yeah. like, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll score for a couple of games. That's how you meet people. All right. So I've got this list of 10 questions that I'm sure you've heard me ask plenty of people in the past. Okay, well, we'll start with the cricket-specific questions. So, best player you've played with or against? I'm just going to keep it to Japan then. Opposition players, uh, well, Sabarosh, of course. So his name comes up all the time. Um, and in fact, when the, when the Tigers first came into the JCDA, they had to be in second division. Mm. And so, uh, I did actually put, we did play against those guys in a final, I think. The seconds, mm. I am myself. And yeah, I don't think he took us apart. Like, he's, <laughs> he was just warming up perhaps, but I've seen him from the umpire's point of view, from standing and standing at the end of the pitch, watching him bat. 
and watching him bowl. So skill-wise, yeah, and just his passion for the game and he's in the field as well. He's he's an all-around cricketer, so he's probably the best uh, opposition. Uh, from the Sharks, have had a lot of really, really good players um, and still got some good players. But I think probably the most all-around guy uh, is Pat Giles-Jones. Really fast bowler, and I've, I used to keep to him as well. Fast bowler. He played for Japan. Um, good fast bowler and then he'd come in late in the game and bowls really, really good spin and he was a really good batsman and um, a fielder as well. So I think for all round thing, Pat was was really good, but we've had some cracking players as well on the Sharks. So I'd say those two. Best thing you've ever learned from a coach? Um, senior player at the club says, do you wear glasses? And, and I said, yeah. He said, you don't wear them when you're batting, you should wear your glasses. I think that's <laughs> maybe the first piece of advice I can remember. <laughs> Uh, so career highlight? The Sharks' first win against the Wombats ever was the uh, 2010 um, final, and I played in that game, and that was pretty memorable. Yeah, down in in, in Sun and One. Uh, so that was really good. Then, um, oh, well, I, I, I am the owner of four Michelle's uh, uh, past the age of 50, which I'm quite proud of. Yeah, that's getting a fair effort. Yeah. Um, and uh, so I'm, I'm sort of highlights each one of those is a highlight. <laughs> um, and uh, one highlight is a fairly recent one. And uh, this gets back to the game that I mentioned before where I, I ran off from playing for the Anzacs and, and went down to, uh, to 12th for the seconds. And uh, some people listening might want to not remember this one, but <laughs> um, the situation was in COVID time that I umpired the seconds and we got smashed, absolutely smashed each game because still now we have a complete um, uh, second division team of really veterans sitting out because of different reasons. So we, we, I think we debuted, debuted about, you know, 15 people in that season and we got smashed everywhere as many teams just couldn't wait to play us. And it was kind of the same last year, but anyway, the last game of the season, uh, the Sharks was versus, uh, can I say the name of the team? Yeah. <laughs> was against the Tigers. And, uh, you know, a megalith club, very proud club and they're on the way to, to win things. And we played them and it was most amazing game I've ever seen the seconds play. It was unbelievable. And I could watch it from the sidelines as 12 and I came on sometimes to sub and I could get involved. I'm kind of glad that I wasn't playing because I'd be scared that I'd cut a lead run. So just to watch that team win and how they won it and Erica was captain. But it was just so fantastic to see um, those players who I played with uh, after so many years of getting smashed around to win a game. It was like we won the World Cup. I mean, it was seriously <laughs> over the top. So uh, I, that was a real, real highlight for me to, to see, to see um, my teammates win. Um, That's the kind of thing that it keeps you playing sport, right? It doesn't matter yeah, yeah. if yeah. your team generally is, you know, struggling you're always going to have those moments uh, yeah. in any in any sport you know where you you come off you know well that went well or i did that well and then when it all comes together and you get a team victory that's what makes team sports so special right because you will celebrate together. Yeah. so those are the highlights onto the lowlights is there any loss that still particularly annoys you or is there any creeping regret that you hold uh loss uh yes Next question. <laughs> Not going to regale us with that story? No. Oh, it's a shame. 
Uh, any cricketing regrets? Regrets, I think, is more, uh, I've got three kids, as I said, and they're all good at sport. And um, I see Chris Thurgate and his boys coming through, and I'm so envious of him that he can see his, and his kids play in World Cups, for goodness sake, uh, two of them. And, uh, yeah, that, that's sort of, I would have liked one of my kids or some of my kids to get involved in cricket. You know, I'm still working on my daughter. Have you had any... Or have you seen any particularly amusing things happen on a cricket field? I'm sure that you have. Yeah. <laughs> but I think there's two of them stand out. One of them was uh, actually during warm-ups and a player who shall rename nameless in the warm-up for one game, we were hitting high balls and he went for one and he's, as he's running, his, his pants fell down. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they still managed to stay upright and catch the ball, but yeah, minus his dacks. Um, I, I think the funniest thing is I remember is actually, uh, uh, a couple of embassy cups ago where it was, uh, actually he's a shark, Leon Meeling, uh, it's a junior. He was playing for the British embassy and I think I was umpiring the cat. He was at sort of cover or something all went up and he sort of stumbling backwards and he sort of losing his balance as it sort of hit him and hit, hit him and the ball went up in the air. He will flat, flatten his back and the ball came down and hit one of his legs, which was going up. The ball went straight up again and landed. So just flattened his back right in the middle of his chest and he took the catch. And we could not have, even CG wouldn't have been able to do, to do that. But that was pretty funny. Favorite teammate? Yeah, I can't say a favorite. I got so many. You know, Too many. Oh yeah. Uh, the older sharks, uh, we have so much time on it. Something like Anton, Anton is, Anton and Lloyd Williams is so funny on the field with things happening and different personalities. Dave, Dave Lawback on the field too is so serious in many ways and Rick's <laughs> is so calm. So it's, uh, the dynamic of, of, of some of the older guys in the Sharks is just hilarious. And well, more recently, I have to mention Erica, cause she mentioned me. She is such a brave lady. I mean, mm. she's just amazing with what, what she does and what she's willing to, to, to try on the field and so brave. Uh, so it's always fun to, to, to play with, um, deal with Erica too. Yeah. Erica has been, been pretty inspirational. Some of the stuff she's been doing. It's been, been great to see. Favorite format to play and to watch? Test, 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 then test. Spot on. Is there anywhere that you'd especially like to play cricket? Grounds? Not so much. Uh, I know I won't play. I would watch. I'd, I'd like to. Um, I think down in Cape Town might be fun to watch a game there. Um, backgrounds. I have this weird idea. I'd like to go to, I'd like to go to Sri Lanka cause I love Asia and love traveling and stuff in Sri Lanka. And I just had this thing of if I could get in touch with cricket, cricket teams around Sri Lanka, I could offer to, uh, umpire and, uh, <laughs> games while I travel. Mm. Um, that, but, uh, I don't know if that would work very well. So have you watched cricket overseas at all? Uh, no, I'm. You know, two, the only international cricket I've ever seen is at the MCG. Mm. Okay. I've never, never watched it in Sydney and been to any other ground in Australia. And Sana, of course. Uh, and I'm sorry. Yes. And Tonema, two international cricket grounds I've been to as Tonema and the MCG. Goodness me. All right. I've seen amazing things at the MCG. <laughs> My last, uh, cricket specific question. Is there one innings or bowling performance played by someone else that you wish you could have played yourself? Well, you know, as a, as a kid, I mean, I was, I was 14 when in 1974, um, uh, when Lee and Tomo were going at it. So everybody was, uh, 
either Tom or Lily at that, <laughs> at that stage. So yeah, it'd be nice to be Dennis Lily for a while. You wouldn't have. Yeah, I reckon they had quite a lot of fun. All right. So to finish off, I usually go with some Japan specific questions. So All right. you've been, been here for God, 40 years. Favorite thing about Japan? Yeah, it's a number of things. I mean, all the people I get on uh, Japanese people and uh, suit my character, I guess. I'm a bit kind of, uh, uh, not, don't get too fussed about things. So, uh, so the people are really good, made some really nice friends here and raising a family here is good. Very, very safe. Uh, I think other people have mentioned that. And the food, I just love Japanese food too. So uh, that's another thing. And while we're on people, I, I want to give you a chance to tell another story because this story has been told on the podcast already um, from the other person's perspective, but I would right. like to get your take on it. Cause I, I, I think this is great. Um, on how you first came into contact with one of Japan cricket's biggest and most effervescent characters, the number one groundsman, Yoshitaka Uehara. Yoshi, yes. Um, well, Yoshi's been playing for the Wyverns for, you know, as long as I've been playing for the Sharks. And, and playing against them, once when I was um, at Square Leg uh, in the game and I was wearing an Essendon, Essendon is a football team in Australia, Melbourne, famous Essendon um, hat. And he said to me, oh, you know, the bo you're a Bombers. This guy next to me said, oh, you're a Bombers fan. So that's interesting. This guy knows, the Japanese guy knows about Aussie, Aussie rules football. I didn't think much of it. Um, and then, um, it was about the same team time as the Japanese women teams got going. And there was a, a, a single, somebody made a song, some pop star had a song. There was posters of the Japanese women. Mm. And anyway, I work at a women's university. So I had one of these posters outside of my door. I just put it on the, on the door of my office. And, um, one day, uh, there was a knock on the door and open it up. And there's a guy there. I said, I know this guy. I, I knew his face and people often from companies visit, you know, you buy books as a university professor. And, and I said to him, oh, I'm sorry if I haven't paid you, the check is in the mail. Sort of thing. So I, thought he was, I thought he was a representative yeah, to ask for money. Right. So, I, but he, cause he looked familiar and I thought I knew this guy. And he says, oh no, my name is Yoshiara. This, and he gave me his meishi and, and then. He's agitated and he, he couldn't help him. He says, he says, why do you have a picture of the Japan national women's team on your office? And I said, well, I play. And he looked at me, he said, he said, I play too. And I said, who do you play for? I, he said, Wyverns. I said, sharks at the same time. He's like, oh, I know this. Oh, that's why I know this person. I play cricket against him. And so, uh, anyway, I invite him into my office and, uh, so he was a book representative at that time, not a, not a famous groundsman and TV personality. Uh, so anyway, Yoshi then used to come back to my university almost every week. And this is a story that I really like. <laughs> so he, he's, he's got these universities he goes to and to sell books, but he, you know, he shopped to, to my university almost very often and come in and we just talk cricket and football and have a good time and a cup of tea. I never bought one book for him from him which is why he's probably a groundsman now. Uh, <laughs> I think this did lead directly to Yoshi's end of yeah, the so, Tokyo, um, salary man lifestyle. That's my fault too now, is it? Oh, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. So that's the Yoshi story. It's pretty funny. I do like that one. Okay. So back to Japan, um, any one place in particular that a visitor must go to? Well, I've been in a lot of places in Japan. Actually the, 
I, during the Olympics, I boycotted the Olympics because I was against the Olympics. I had to say, I didn't watch anything, even Australian. I just ran away and I ran away to, to Shikoku, uh, in my car and I traveled around that area bit on the mainland for three weeks. And I had to say Shikoku was the most amazing place and it's not very big. Uh, you, you can see a lot of things in a short amount of time. So, uh, even Japanese people don't go to Shikoku very much. And so that's, if you've got a, a week off and yeah, you, know, you want to see some real Japan still, uh, I'd recommend Shikoku. Uh, you mentioned food. What is your favorite food? Uh, I have to say tempura, love tempura, you know, uh, that. that, but it's a little bit hard for mice, me to make, but I, I love tempura. Do you have any particular food that you have tried and cannot go near again? I've, I've probably eaten just about everything. Uh, I, I'm, I'm always willing to try it if you put it in front of me and if you try it first, <laughs> <laughs> of course, uh, yeah, I, I've just, for you name it, I've probably tried it, but one, one food that I just couldn't even get myself to try is monje yaki. Well, it's economy yaki, but it's like the very, uh, soupy sort of, uh, porridgey looking mix and it's very watery and you put on the same tepan, same pan as, uh, as konomiyaki and you get these little kind of spatulas and you kind of, you squash it out and it kind of cooks and you scrape it off and you eat it. I, it just doesn't look right to me. It doesn't look like food. Uh, and, and it doesn't look like food. So that's weird. I don't know. It just, it's not the taste or anything. That's interesting. Um, it doesn't strike me as a particularly offensive. It just doesn't look right to me. <laughs> I'm like, just a, I'm, I've eaten insects, I've eaten frogs, I've eaten, you name it, but I'm not going to go near Monja. <laughs> Sorry. Okay. And you, as you mentioned, have been studying Japanese since you were a young man and you work in a, a Japanese university. Do you have yeah. a favorite Japanese word or phrase? And if so, what's its meaning? Yeah. Okay. That's one I just, if, it, if people come to Japan just for fun, um, betsu bara. Betsu bara. Betsu is separate. Butter is a stomach, okay? So it's, it's like a second stomach. <laughs> right. And so, yeah, so bits of butter. So, for example, usually what people would say, if they've eaten too much and said, what about dessert? You know, I can't eat anymore, said dessert. Yeah, I've got a bits of butter for that. <laughs> All right, so it's, it's having a second stomach when you're full that you want to eat something else, particularly desserts. Brilliant. Well, KB, thanks very much for, for coming on. It's been good fun to have a chat. Always great to yeah. hear your, your stories. Yeah, well, thanks for inviting me. And yeah, to all those players who I've wronged and uh, please don't come up to me years later and say, you gave me LBW when I wasn't out. <laughs> nice one. Thanks, KB. Enjoy your uh, okay. enjoy the rest of your weekend. All right, you too. See you, Alan. Okay, that concludes this episode of the Japan Cricket Podcast. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. And if you did, then I would be forever grateful if you could rate the show or even write a review if your podcast platform allows it. This podcast is a labor of love and an attempt to spread the word of cricket in Japan to any and all that are interested. So your support with that would be wonderful. And should anyone out there be a sound production expert and want to help out in improving the sound quality of the show, that would be great too and do get in touch. There's plenty of cricket coming up in the next few weeks. The Japan Women's Cricket League finally gets underway this weekend. The junior leagues continue to take over and a whole new bunch of cricketers have recently been introduced to the sport via the Cricket Blast program for under-12 kids that runs in Sano and Akishima. If you're listening for the first time, then do go and give us a follow on Instagram, the Japan Cricket Podcast. And if you're not listening for the first time and you haven't done that yet, then why haven't you?
come and see us. Uh, I do try to respond to any messages there as well, so feel free to send feedback about the show, uh, the guests, and any ideas for future episodes or topics to discuss. Okay, that's all from me. Thanks again, and until next time, all the best, and Otskale Sama Deshtar. Deshta.